Okay, welcome to a very special episode of the United Pubcast. Now, obviously, releasing on a very historic day for the club, the 6th of February, which is obviously the anniversary of the Munich tragedy. So, um, there's obviously, you see a lot of things on social media in terms of flashbacks, um, sort of tributes and memories and a lot of photos, etc., about the players who lost their lives and the players who went on to sort of become legends at the club. Um, so we thought we might as well take the time as there are no games this week and no games for a while to have a look back and obviously we do get entrenched in the current game and the modern phenomenon that football and Man United is but um, it's important to look back at pretty much obviously we weren't there at the time but I think a lot of us can say why we support the club when you look back I think a lot of people do look at that time especially that crash and the following 10 years as well we'll get into it but as a reason why we do support the club because it is extremely important extremely sad when you look back at what happened and only last week you saw two weeks ago now by the time you listen to this the Kobe Bryant incident it can happen anytime Um, when you least expect it tragedy can hit sometimes so we'll look back at the Munich tragedy and maybe not so much we're obviously no experts at it um, especially in terms of the play that we didn't see them play etc so we might look at we'll obviously touch on the players that passed away but I think this podcast might sort of lean towards sort of the rebuild and what happened 10 years after and how Matt Busby sort of rebuilt the club etc and so almost not compare but how you can sort of draw comparisons and what a rebuild would look like now and sort of what different challenges the different managers would face because let's face it now bringing through a teenager now on 200 grand a week is a hell of a lot different to what Sir Matt Busby would have been bringing through with the Busby babes back in the late 50s so um first of all how are you today Larry good mate <clears throat> yeah um it's always great to not only reflect on Manchester United because like this is the club we support but the thing that makes Old Trafford and Manchester United such a special club is the history and the adversity of the club um, and I think what separates United and obviously we'll go through it is the the whole ethos and the philosophy of youth you know when it's probably a drum that we we beat too hard um, in you know modern times especially with social media, YouTube, etc. But I think this podcast uh, is an opportunity for us to actually reflect on what makes Manchester United the great phenomenon that it is today. And it comes down to the foundations that were built through tragedy or otherwise um, in the early parts of the you know mid-1900s. No, 100%. And again, when we go through this podcast, we obviously do not mean, and obviously you know we don't mean, but any disrespect to anyone we don't mention in terms of... We, we look at the players who did lose their lives in terms of the Man United players, but obviously 23 people who died, there were journalists. There was obviously Frank Swift, the Man City goalkeeper, who passed away. So we obviously... Um, so our heart goes out to all those people who lost their lives and their families, but obviously we're not experts on everyone who passed away, but we will um, obviously touch on the United aspect of it, but obviously touch a lot of people outside of Manchester United. But... Um, the players who died, obviously, sort of in the crash or in and around the crash, obviously, maybe further on, we'll get, we'll get into Duncan Edwards in a little bit. Obviously, didn't die on the day. Um, he was a little bit later. But um, the players who did pass away in the crash was obviously Billy Whelan, who his position was inside forward, which obviously isn't around in the current game, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, David Pegg, who was a left winger. Eddie Coleman, the old wing half, which obviously isn't in the game anymore. But there's another one, Jeff Bent, who was a fullback. 
Tommy Taylor, um, the famous striker for United, Roger Byrne, who's a fullback, and the centre half, Mark Jones. And obviously, um, which we might touch on a little bit um, in a little bit, is Duncan Edwards, who it has down here in the. I've got an old newspaper, the sort of the 50th anniversary in 2008 from the Manchester Evening News. It has Duncan Edwards here listed as a wing half. Now, we're not going to sit here and tell you what a wing half is because I have no idea, but. From Duncan Edwards, we might as well just go into Duncan Edwards a little bit because obviously he did pass away. He's one of the players who did die in the cr- well of as the crash result, as yeah. a result of the crash. Um, we might, we'll talk about it because he, he's a player that obviously we didn't see play. We're seeing snippets and a little bit of grainy footage here or there. Everyone talks about him being the best in terms of there's Maradona, Pele, George Best, Stephen, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi. The players who saw Duncan Edwards say he would have been the player like you, you go through some of the stats that he had at his age and what he was doing and some of the people those players that we'll get into a quote of it from Sir Bobby Charlton what he was doing at his age for him to die could, could you imagine now let's say look obviously not but Marcus Rashford could you imagine you wake up tomorrow and Marcus Rashford isn't here anymore like you, you can't get your head around it let alone um, an entire team and when you put it in a context this was a really successful team. Um, this was the team, and you know, we were discussing this that at the time, um, back in the old European Cup days, in what we now know as the modernised Champions League, um, this was the team that it wasn't a discussion around. Oh, they could win. It was almost a foregone conclusion. This is the side that they're the best in the world. It, it's not even close. It, it was them and daylight. But they're the, they're the best in the world at such a young age. Yeah, I but mean... You wonder what they could have done in five years' time. When you look at the um, number of people who died, I, I believe uh, there was... Um, I, I don't know the entire order, I'm sorry, but um, there was one senior player around the 31-year-old uh, year old age mark. Everyone else was 21 to 25. Yeah. So just to put in a context, you know, when you talk about United now being the youngest side in the Premier League, these, this was the best team in Europe at the time and that age group so relative not even in your prime and you look at and I don't want this at all to sound like a bit of a pissing contest but you look at every every fan base wants more trophies than the other one and you look at what Liverpool have won they've got obviously got they've got the six European Cups now Real Madrid have God knows how many but at the time back then in the 50s and 60s Real Madrid won five in a row you look at United managed to win one which we'll get into in the 1968 but they potentially, you look, we sit on three now, which is three behind Liverpool six. Potentially, you know, don't know, we might have gone on with six or seven during that, during 10 years there. And like, what could have been? And you look at, we're very proud of our three European Cups now. But if that team didn't pass away, you think, God. But from what all the experts talk about, and you have to take their word for it, mm. I think it looks like we probably would have gone on to at least win five in that decade, which is scary when you think mm. about it. You're right, and, and you know, um, back to what, what I was saying, like, when you're talking about that age group, 21 or 25, your peak's 27, 28. Um, I'd also take in context, um, you, we were talking about it, like, the pitchers back then. Oh, it was a different game. Like, you know what I mean? Um, Duncan Edwards is a funny one. Um, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, Tom, but in all the reading I've done, it's, um, he would be, I, I know, I'm not sure what the term they've used for his position there, I've got um, a wing half. But in from everything you've heard, is he was actually quite a defensive player, or sat in a defensive position, yeah. I should say, yeah. but had the ability to get forward, score goals, great dribbling. 
it's just like the way the way I see it and again this is a player I also didn't see yeah. but the way I, I always sort of have in my mind is the Franz Beckenbauer sort of someone yeah. who sat at the back and just got the ball and could just go forward and then when he got in that forward position could create good score goals could just dominate the game from a forward position but then when he loses the ball can come back and dominate and sort of help the team yeah um, and you touched on this um, Manchester City current state play like I guess if you want to refer to the most recent game against Manchester United two centre-backs so if you're envisioning that with the sort of pitches they had if you can imagine or envision a player with the ability to get forward and back at that age uh, 21 years of age maybe uh, at the time definitely would have been the youngest deputant for Manchester United 16 years of age um, which has only been close to being reached in the last few years through Mason Greenwood and Angel Gomez um, so just think between yeah. we're talking the 1950s it's it's taken us well into the noughties um, well, well it's, hard, it's hard to think at the time, obviously the time recording yeah. this but it's hard to imagine we're actually in the 20s now we, we, yeah. we think of the 20s as back in the 1920s that's how far like, the world's gone on we're actually living in the 20s now it's just happened yeah. to be the 2020s yeah so, so um, yeah, you look back at how far away the 50s were it, thing, li- yeah. literally a lifetime ago right? yeah um, um, just yeah, was thinking out loud like Gomez well, he, he came closest to Edwards' record he was right? the youngest since so I yeah. think Duncan Edwards was still holding the record so I don't know if look maybe you should know but um, I don't know if Duncan he still holds the record or it, I think he still does hold the record or at least especially since the 50s I think we've got that record from the youth player in each team, what did you say, 1938, an uh, uh, academy yeah, so, player in the matchday squad. That's right, yeah, so since the 30th of October uh, 1938, there's been a United squad player in the team ever since. Tonight. Which, when you look at it, we'll go back through, or not back through, but we'll obviously touch on the historic value of the club and sort of reasons why we support the club. And Munich is such a huge part of the club in 1958, but you say that record is still, and obviously it's a different game, it was a lot easier to have a youth, an academy product in, in your team back then however that record still stands from 20 years before Munich now obviously football did stop a little bit um, in around the 40s with um, the world war etc but um, it just shows that record which is just every week we add to it every single week and we're going to keep adding to it especially in sort of the current sort of group of players we have coming through we've got an extremely young squad but it just all makes you proud each week thinking that you add in something that was created in 1938 that doesn't look like stopping where other clubs can stop I don't know Chelsea could stop tomorrow Man City could stop tomorrow sort of thing that stat and not have to hit the reset button but United sort of add to it every single week and I think it does carry on the legacy that some of these players did leave yeah um, and you know for me call me biased but that's what makes Manchester United the greatest club in England um, when you talk about an ethos that started well into the early 1900s um, you know the Busby the term the Busby Babes it, it refers to bringing kids through from the juniors into and progressing into the first team which this special bunch of players were a part of well one thing with the and again I don't want to put this as a caveat for every single point we make I don't want to mean any disrespect to anyone with this comment but this term the Busby Babes is always a weird one which I think who exactly are they referring to? You've got the Busby Babes, these players who passed away, the young players who Smart Busby was overlooking. But then I can also make a case for the Busby Babes being the ones he did bring through to win the European Cup 10 years later. I think, I think in my opinion, I encapsulate all of them, the players who passed away and the young players who came through, all as Busby Babes, where I think some people just refer to 
the 68 team as the Busby Babes or the players who passed away as the Busby Babes? Yeah, so um, it, but I'm just having a look now. So the, the term the Busby Babes, um, it looks like it was introduced by a journalist, uh, Tom Jackson, who was covering uh, the MEN at the time, and it actually started in 1951. So yeah. if you're taking that into context, it was actually here, it, it states he was referring to the Busby Babes because these players came through under Matt Busby at the time. So when you look at it, um, phenomenal achievement. Yeah. Well, just back on to Duncan Edwards, just before we move on a little bit, um, just one quote, which we'll just um, read out now because it obviously gets talked about a lot. So Bobby Charlton's obviously constantly over the last 20, 30 years or obviously 40, 50, 60 years now um, a big advocate of Duncan Edwards and how good he was um, so Bobby Charlton the famous quote is the only player who ever made me feel inferior was Duncan Edwards if I had to play for my life and could take one man with me it would be him and um, there's so many quotes of Duncan Edwards but that one always does stick out because it is a different time like, he, he doesn't mention the word there but he almost mentions battle and war, where he says, if I could take one man with me with my life's on the line, you'd take Duncan Edwards. And we'll get into Bobby Charlton in a little bit, and he's potentially the United's biggest ever legend, referring to someone else as the best player rather than himself. It's the ultimate compliment. And, you know, I hate to keep referring back to modern football, but, you know, they say there's a lack of characters in modern football. When you say, um, if I had to pick one person to come with me and help me fight for my life, because the thing is, these guys, like, let's put a life perspective on football. It was a different time. These guys weren't millionaires. They played out of a pure love of the game. Uh, they were just really good, really passionate. Well, it wasn't even <clears throat> love. Like, while they did obviously love the game, it was a survival thing. When our players play for luxury, they can go and get a job somewhere else. These players were playing yeah. to put bread on the table. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I'd, I'd argue modern footballers, I'd, I'd say most of them probably don't even, football's not their priority. It's partying, making money, and so forth. So, because these guys were battle-hardened um, and had to go through difficult times, um, obviously, there were tensions growing in, in Europe at the time. Um, we don't want to get into the political side of things, but they were more battle-hardened. So, it's, but still, it's a glowing endorsement by, in my opinion, United's greatest ever player. Yeah, well, it's hard to argue. Yeah, the, 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 actually, when you just mentioned the United's greatest ever player, one of the quote, not a quote, actually, do you have the quote from Ferguson we are talking about earlier? Sir Alex Ferguson is always criticised for this quote. I think it was after the Aston Villa match when we last won the league title, which, God, doesn't that feel a while ago? <laughs> but when we won the title at home when Van Persie scored that volley, he obviously won the title in 2013. And it was, I think Phil Jones was his second season at the club and it had quite a good season. And I think he even, he, he sort of played in midfield a little bit on occasions. I remember he played at Real, away at Real Madrid, played in midfield and did quite well. And obviously we won the league, it looked like we're going to go on to just do what we do, dominate England for years to come. And Phil Jones was a new young player, big money signing to come in and looked very promising. And Sir Alex is often criticised with this quote saying Phil Jones is the next Duncan Edwards, saying he's going to be the next Duncan Edwards after the game. And I look back, and from my memory, he never said that. He said, from my memory, and you've got the quote there, but from my memory, what he said was he could come become one of the United's greatest ever players. And from my memory, people at the time saw that, and people especially now, see that quote as saying he's better than Duncan Edwards because of maybe... And again, my 
limited, limited knowledge of Duncan Edwards, but a big physical presence who played in that area of the pitch. And Phil Jones has very good physical attributes. It was a lazy comparison. Sir Alex Ferguson never said Duncan Edwards. You're spot on. Um, to read it quote for quote, this is what Fergie said. Jones, arguably the way he is looking, could be our best ever player. I think Jones may be one of the best players we have ever had. Not only where we play him at 21 years of age, he's going to be a phenomenal player. I think he can play anywhere on the pitch. He has such a massive influence with his instinct and reading of the game. That's it. Well, where do you want to start? Do you want to start on Ferguson's lack of knowledge of the game, <laughs> thinking Phil Jones was going to become our best ever player? Or, but you know what I mean? Like, well, I think we are, maybe not thought he's going to be United's best ever player, but you, you can see why someone would think like that at the time. But um, I always feel Sir Alex Ferguson's hard done by there. And look, he's a legend of the club. Nothing's going to change that. But people sort of throw that as a bit of shit at him. Just, I don't agree with him. He, he never actually said that. Just a lazy comparison which people want to sort of throw it in to suit their agenda or suit their point. Yeah, um, it was a strange one. I don't know where the comparison came. I guess because of the age. 21 years of age. You're calling him saying potentially he could be our greatest ever player. If he said at the time, this is our greatest ever player, okay, I'd understand, but he never said that. So, um, look, we, we live in a time where people like to blow things up, unfortunately. Um, I mean that in a yeah. in an exaggeration way, not a literal well, way. Well, so, um, yeah, just in regards to Edwards, because obviously a lot of players obviously lost their wives on the 6th of February. Duncan Edwards, obviously, a little bit later. Um, I forget how many days later, but obviously died, of, I think it was a... Um, he kidney malfunction um, a couple of days later, um, which is very sad. Because a lot of players, a lot of people, well, obviously the 23 people died, and obviously eight United players died, but there were survivors. And I don't, don't want to say because you don't want to forget the players who did pass away. But it's also important to remember what the survivors went on to do because they're just as big a part as the story. Because they obviously saw their their friends, their loved ones pass away as well. Yeah. So um, we will get on to. We don't want to sort of skip over the players who passed away they're obviously very close to our hearts but look at the end of the day we're no experts on them we can't talk forever about them we do want to talk about what United went on to do which is just as important part of the club's history um, before we do that um, Harry Gregg who obviously was a survivor of the crash and the real hero of Munich because everyone looks to who passed away and everyone looks at what happened in 1968 but the actual incident of the crash, we all sit here and it's it's scary that he hasn't been truly recognised for this in terms of when they hand out awards you know, for bravery and etc. He's had one or two awards, but he really should be um, held in far higher regard than what he is. But Harry Gregg went back, once the plane crashed, went back into the plane to try and revive Samat Busby, but also pull out a 20-month-year-old child and a pregnant lady. And we can sit here and say, in tragedy, let's say, it doesn't have to be a plane crash, that was a car crash or a, a dangerous incident at the beach in the water sort of thing. Everyone would sit here and take the high ground and say, yeah, I'll do that, I'll go in and help. But could you really, if you dig deep down, if a plane was burning and you don't know if it was going to blow or something, would you really run back into a burning plane? Like, the heroics that guy would have shown is, you, you can't fathom it. Yeah, and, and that speaks to the character of the man. Um, I'd love to say hand on heart that I would want to do the same thing. Yeah, no, thing, 100%, but, but I... In those moments, like, put yourself in the... Think of a situation in anywhere in your life. Like, you, we can all relate to this. A moment where you thought, 
Oh, like where you've just been terrified, right? Whether it's a dog chasing you or you're in a situation where a car nearly hits you. Anything that gets your adrenaline going, in those moments, your instinct kicks in. So imagine the level-headedness of the man to say, I must go save this woman and her child. Like, it just speaks to the character of the man and I can't compliment you, him enough. Yeah, as I said there, in terms of the, that, that moment, you go into survival mode and survival mm-hmm. mode is a self... It's selfish action, really. Yeah, it, well, yeah. it's natural. It's not. It's not a criticism saying yeah. it's selfish. It's just naturally that's what happens. Yeah. And to go back in there and look out from the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney, um, our chairman, who's been over in Manchester for a couple of years now, Mark, is um, quite close with Harry Gregg and his grandson, and um, has spent quite a bit of time with him. Mm-hmm. And um, our supporters club has raised a little bit of money in some of the charity games we do for the Harry Gregg Foundation over in Northern Ireland. And um, we're proud to do that because, as I said, he's a really unsung hero of the club and it's sort of almost a football as well. I think what, what would have happened if Simat Busby didn't get out of the plane, etc. Like what would have happened to English football, etc. So what Harry Gregg did was um, amazing. So, But some of the stories Mark, the, the chairman of the supporters club, come back and he, he's told us about what Harry Gregg has said about so, so, maybe not so much about the incident at the plane, but sort of in and around that time and certain stories is... Um, Look, I haven't heard it from his mouth himself, but it's just um, really remarkable some of the things you hear. And um, again, you weren't there at the time. This was got 30 years before I was born, but you still feel very proud that um, someone. Look, Man United, we sit here and say it's a family, but it, it, do, it does feel like your family. So it almost it's the furthest thing from it, but it almost feels like a family member doing something good that you can look back on and be proud of. Yeah, 100%. Um... Again, unfortunate circumstances, obviously, but you take pride in as a fan when you look back and you hear these sorts of stories. In a, you know, again, I compare it to modern day because people are so selfish. They just want social media exposure. They want to be famous. They want to be rich. Actions like that. And how old was Harry Gregg at the time? This is a young man, right? Someone in his early twenties. You could happily, you would be entitled to save your own life and walk away. So the fact that he did the honourable thing credit to me mm-hmm. now just there on your mentioning about the sort of supporting the club and being a fan and again just as I mentioned it was 30 years before I was born and even longer for yourself and everyone has their own story of why they support United I support United because this player or well, this is my first memory of football or red's my favourite colour or I grew up here or it was the first game I've been to everyone has their own unique story and every unique story is valid there's a valid reason to why you should support the club and this is obviously a long time before I was born, but I look back and think, well, this is why I support the club. Even though it wasn't my initial reaction, initial reason for supporting the club, I look back and obviously Jimmy Murphy, the assistant manager or first team coach at the time, when United were obviously got back to England and they obviously in the middle of the season had games to, had a fixture to fulfil, etc. It looked like, and I don't want to get terms wrong, or, but in regards to the FA and I don't know who exactly was the governing body at the time and who was in charge of making decisions, but it looked like pulling United from the league, etc. Like just cancelling the club, just getting rid of them, saying, look, you're not going to be able to fulfil the team, you've got no players, get rid of Manchester United, you're going to have to sort of fold the club almost. It almost got to that stage. Um, Jimmy Murphy was obviously fighting on United's behalf. And he's quite again. I don't know how accurate this quote is, but it is a quote that's thrown around um, quite a quite a fair bit. And so I'm entitled to believe. And I think it is something a lot of people talk about Jimmy Murphy. 
is something that he would say is something that he did stand by and the quote is it's not about their memory it's about showing who we are to the world showing we'll not be bowed by tragedy because how we are in the future will be founded by how we behave today so it comes down to United couldn't just die there it's that famous song we'll never die we'll never die if United just let it go and just let the governing body do what they want at the time United wouldn't have been well United wouldn't be anything now let alone what they have gone on to become so I look at that quote, and again, it was 30 years before I was born, but I think, it's just, as we go back and say, oh, it can be proud of a so-called family member. I think extremely proud of that, and I look back, and it's probably why I support, almost the quote, why I support Man United, which is weird, because it happened, obviously, well before my time. Um, but I look back, and I think that is the reason. It's one of those quotes that makes you want to thump your chest out. Um, and I, I mean that in the most positive way. The other thing that, you know... I don't know if a lot of international fans take note of Manchester, the city itself, but it's a very working class, um, working class foundations really, you know, very blue collar, um, lots of trade came in and out of Manchester and that's that's ties into the whole rivalry between United and Liverpool and, and so forth, but uh, that's why the, those quotes by Jimmy Murphy are so powerful because that's what people talk about when they talk about giving everything for the shirt. Now, granted, that's a saying that every club uses, no matter what you do. And yes, you should do that in your performance. But that's why when we talk about this club not only being um, successful, but it was about that, that ethos and relating to the people of the, of the city. So, um, look, and, and it's fantastic that he fought for the club because imagine if he didn't. Maybe it's a club that wouldn't exist. Maybe me and you are not here today. We met because of... Uh, you know, because we had a common interest in Manchester. Oh, I think, I think that's, that, that's why, in terms of specific, <clears throat> what we're just saying, that quote there might be 30 seconds in a room somewhere, God knows where, in 1958. But the impact it has is unbelievable. Right? Yeah. As I say, in terms of millions of people that has affected their lives, like we live and breathe this club because of what potentially happened over a table in 1958, a 10-second conversation or a 10-second line which changed someone's mind. It changed someone's signature on a paper, which would have made a decision this way or that way. And um, yeah, hundred percent. And just on, just before we move on from Jimmy Murphy, there's there's often you look around the ground and you look back at certain things. And Sir Matt Busby's obviously got a statue outside the ground. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson obviously does the Holy Trinity. He went on to win the European Cup. He's outside the ground. Actually, Dennis Law actually has. He's the only person with two statues. He's got a statue inside the ground as well in the Stretford end. But um, there's always talk about how can they sort of remember Jimmy Murphy and there's always talk of a which City, to be fair to them, have done quite well. They have a youth team stadium and personally I think United should but it doesn't look, it's a whole other debate in terms of the Glazers' ownership of the club but hopefully sometime in the future United can invest sort of in the infrastructure of the club and build a stadium for the youth team or the reserve team rather than playing at little grounds around the around Manchester have that designated stadium which Man City do and talk of naming that the Jimmy Murphy Stadium um, ideally I think that would be fantastic under this current ownership it looks a million years away um, there's recent talk though and again I don't think it'll happen but potentially there's a stand after some Abbas, or some Bobby Charlton and Sir Alex Ferguson could you potentially name a stand after Jimmy Murphy um, there's only two stands left there's only a certain amount of stands you can have in the stadium but um do you think anything will ever be done? Um, because it's a weird one. Because there's Matt Busby, this big figure, Sir Alex Ferguson's this big figure, Sir Bobby Charlton, even the, even some of the players. You have Duncan Edwards, George Best, go on to 
yeah. David Beckham, Ronaldo, um, etc. Where Jimmy Murphy is, as we've just alluded to, there is such an important figure in the club, but isn't really remembered as such. Is sort of not swept under the carpet, but just in terms of the mainstream media, not mainstream yeah. media, but even main, mainstream sort of fan base. And just pushed aside a little bit, not remembered as... Yeah, perhaps fondly. a little bit just overshadowed. Um, I'd love to see the club honour him in some sort of way, because I think he's, <clears throat> excuse me, um, an important fabric in what is Manchester United as we know it today. Um, look, I, I don't know if a stand is the one I'd go for, but I think given that himself and, and Sir Matt and the influence they played in introducing this culture of youth players I think I really like the idea of perhaps a stadium a youth stadium uh, and if you're staying up to date with modern football and what Manchester United is um, in terms of the stature of the club it'd be great to see that happen one day but who knows mate um, any any honourabilities honourability yeah. not sure that's a word but we'll take it um, yeah would be good um, yeah just on to well we'll move on to it from Jim Ovi to as you say in terms of someone who potentially did overshadow him um Rightly or wrongly, who knows, that is a debate. Um, again, we don't want to disrespect anyone by any opinions we have here, but the big boy, Sir Matt Busby. Just want to touch on, before we get into everything that you did, could you imagine now you look back at sort of the, the, sort of the legend status and the legend status he rightly has at Man United. Could you imagine now him having that legend status if he had what he had in terms of his illustrious career at Man City and Liverpool? Could you, <laughs> could you imagine someone now going from having City... Playing at City, playing at Liverpool, then coming to United and becoming one of their most, the potentially the biggest legend in the club's history. Yeah. Um, well, could, like, could it happen? Definitely not. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the closest example, and this is scraping. Like, I'm like bare back of the barrel. Um, Mark Hughes, who obviously played for United. Well, I thought, um, or, or continue, go on with what you want to say. I'll tell you what I thought you want to say, but go on. Yeah, I was just saying, like, obviously Mark Hughes um, was a major part of United's rebuild um, under Fergie, won, won Premier League titles, and um, obviously managed Manchester City at, at one point. Um, but that's the closest ex- ex- modern example. Well, well like. I thought what you were going to say, and obviously you're a big fan, a John B fan, but especially yourself, um, you look back and we'll talk about Sir Bobby Charlton in a little bit, but Wayne Rooney, and again, he didn't come from Liverpool City, but obviously a scouser, came from Everton, came on to break Sir Bobby Charlton's goal-scoring record, and you think anyone who's the top scorer in Manchester United's history would have to be a legend, and he's one who... Well, I think not, I think a lot of the majority fans do have him as a Man United legend, but there is a significant part of the fan base which don't want to consider him a legend because of... Flirting with Man City? Not even sure that. I think a lot of it's an undertone of being from Liverpool. Yeah. I think, which is, and obviously not from the club Liverpool, but from that area of the country, from sort of the, we can get into the debate of this, the rivalry between the cities. But he had that connection with Liverpool, not the, not the football team, but the city and Everton, which I think a lot of people didn't hold him, can't give him that legend status because of that. But we look at Samat Busby, and rightly so, Samat Busby is as big as they come in the club's history. But it's just as it's a different time. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Um, but you know, back then, because there wasn't so much money involved in football, uh, I think it was easier for players to just go club to club. Obviously, the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester in terms of the two cities, rather than the football clubs, was something that did develop. But um, United and Liverpool, the rivalry really started to blossom probably through the eighties when. Liverpool started to be really successful after United's relative success, which we're going to go into. 
Um, so I think it was a different time, and, and that's probably why you could get away with it, obviously, compared to now. The money that, obviously, Manchester City have, um, they are a competition and a direct threat to United, in, both domestically and internationally. So, Well, with some, we'll stay on some app for a little bit here. Um, again, we weren't back watching games in the 50s and 60s, etc. But just on his almost management style, and almost what it means today... Everyone says, what's the Man United way? We say, attack in football, get the ball forward, attack. If they score two, we'll go score three. If they score four, we'll score five. And it comes back, I don't know what was before Sir Matt Busby, in terms of the 30s, etc. But it almost always comes back to Sir Matt Busby, the way he instilled his teams to play. And obviously the game was extremely different now. I'm not saying tactics weren't involved then, because obviously I have no idea. But I would hazard a guess that tactics play a hell of a lot more an important role now than what they did back then. So um, that intact and influence he obviously did instill in the club that just go and score goals, go and entice the fans. There was always quotes that he would say, because they obviously used to train in and, around, in and around the ground, I assume, so they would have been players used to get the bus to the ground. So there was that interaction with fans, or fans or the public, etc. And Smack Busby, there's always lines coming out that he's always used to say to the players training, look at those people getting the bus to work. They're going earning hard money they're going working in mines and doing stuff they do not want to do to put bread on the table however they might not put that bread on the table because they're coming to watch you on the weekend they want to come watch you on the weekend they're spending all their money to do that you live this life of luxury you have to go and entertain them you can't come and just be good you have to be more than good you have to entertain these people who are spending their hard earned money on you every single week and it's hard because we look back at what we do now and the money that we pour into the club now which is far too much money. I spend way too much money following Man United, and I do that from the other side of the world, it's, let alone ticket sales. And it feels like sometimes they do let you down, they don't entertain me. And you look back at, well, I'm a Man United fan, so my buzz being stored that the, the place should be entertaining the fans. Thoughts? Look, I think, and it, you know, it, it's the reoccurring theme of this podcast, um, but what happens before us, before we were born, um, is what makes this club what it is today. Um, and look, you could go into a whole different debate and argument around, did Sir Alex believe in like you know attacking football? Because I would argue there were times in even Fergie's period where United didn't always play the most attacking football. There were times where we were nicking 1-0 victories. Um, even times when we were quite defensive and played on the counter-attack. What do you define as defensive or counter-attacking or attacking football? Um, but I think, <clears throat> excuse me, but the fabric of what so Matt Busby did, and you see it um, as we uh, uh, progress towards, you know, 1968, is he, the real success story here is how he rebuilt the club. But obviously in the way that he, whatever he believed in never changed. And it's funny, like back to your original point, Man City, Liverpool, He's come to United and almost given the club the identity that it has now, where it's attacking football. Even when Fergie came in, in 86, there was an expectation for attacking football. Um, so, credit to the man. And I know we, we could get into this, but who's more crucial in United's overall history? Obviously, modern football says Fergie, but would United be where they are now without Sir Matt Busby? Yeah, I think if you're going to rank them, like, okay, and again, you don't want to rank them, you've got to hold them in the highest regard possible. But if you're playing a game and, okay, who is the bigger legend, Sir Alex Ferguson or Sir Matt Busby? Look, look, there's no correct answer. 
my opinion, obviously, growing up in the time, I would say Sir Alex Ferguson, just due to the success and the sustained period he did it over. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the importance, I could hold no no argument against anyone who who suggested Sir Matt Busby was more important. Um, I, I possibly even agree with it. Um, I don't want to say Sir Alex Ferguson was lucky, but Man United were run correctly during the introduction of the Premier League. I thought were the right club coming into the right time in the Premier League where obviously we had a great manager who came on to was was crucial to succeed in that early part of the 90s but I think um, we're a big club in the early 90s and we're maybe going to have success anyway eventually um, again taking nothing away from Sir Alex Ferguson but we were set up well to succeed then in terms of the, the other clubs around us at the time there was Leeds in and around Aston Villa in and around Arsenal were starting to fade away a little bit um Again, that has taken nothing away from Sir Alex Ferguson at all. But I think we, we were set to potential because it was going 26 years without winning the title. Yeah. It, it was coming to our time where Samar Pazby was given the short straw of rebuilding a team from literally the ashes. So in terms of his importance, I would hold... I can't argue with anyone who would say Samar Pazby. For me, if he were to rank them, which is wrong to rank them, I would say Sir Alex, just a personal bias. But... Smart yeah. Busby is potentially the right answer, maybe. I don't know. I think Fergie turned United into the sleeping giant, if you will, into the global phenomenon that we see now. The club's ten times bigger, literally, than what it was when Sir Alex took over. And again, tying back in a Sir Matt Busby, and again, building into like Brian Robson, the transfer fee, etc. Um, I think, but if you look at United's overall history, I think what Sir Matt Busby did... There would, maybe there's not a Sir Alex Ferguson period. Well, if, that's, that, that's, that's, that's that, that sleeping giant might be yeah. a sleeping midget like, if Samantha Busby doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's not there. It's not there to build on. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I don't know, for you, Samantha Busby or Sir Alex? Um, bias would say Sir Alex, just given because I wasn't there. But, again, like to your point, if someone who was there lucky enough and has lived long enough to see both, um, then I can understand why you'd say so, Matt. Now, just before we move on from some, just one thing we wanted to touch on, which is just a difference in the comparison from now to back then in the 50s and 60s, which was obviously a huge part of Samat Busby's management, um, dealing with young players. It's such... It's almost the biggest challenge for managers now, I think, dealing with young players and sort of their agents and their entourages that come with them and the baggage they bring. But it was such an important part of what Samat Busby did and how he went about his business and how sort of United group during that time and obviously different circumstances you know maybe specific to United in regards to losing the team in the crash but also just that time in general compared to now like you, you can't compare a teenager's life now like with everyone every teenager now lives on their phone what was their phone then they didn't see a screen back then yeah so an, an absolute different um different scenario completely but just some up Busby, and I think that's strength for Alex, sorry, for Alex Ferguson had was able to deal with young players across different generations. You almost dealt with young players in the eighties, dealt with young players in the nineties, dealt with young players in the two thousands, and they're different types of young players. They're different types of young people. Sorry, um, so that that is a big strength for Alex Ferguson had. Some up Busby had that one generation he dealt with. But you look at what a manager now, Jose Mourinho, struggles with some of the young players. He struggles to deal with them. So maybe Jose Mourinho might have been a fantastic manager. 
back for which he obviously is now, and might have been even even more successful back fifty years ago. Um, yeah. Like his in not inability to deal with young players, but he really finds it challenging now. And we look at one player, like you look at a Marcus Rashford now, who's earning, I don't know, what's he earning two hundred grand a week? Allegedly. Look at Paul Pogba, who's in my opinion still a young player. He's maybe in his prime now. Is he twenty six or something? Yeah. He's still a young player for me. Um, three hundred grand a week, three hundred fifty grand a week. Mason Greenwood is. I saw him rock up to the training ground at Carrington the other day in a Bentley. Uh, it's a different animal now dealing with these young players. Just wondering how you think, and obviously we have no answer to it, but how Smith Busby would have done managing now compared to back back then. Like obviously we have no magic wand and say Smith, what would you have done, etc. Yeah, but just an idea of. Well, I think players back then. I mean, I don't think. I have no doubt. Um, because they were just it was a different time I think you could hold players accountable back then um, you don't have to be which was the genius of Sir Alex he knew how to treat different players um, for different circumstances um, in the case of um, Sir Matt uh, the players if you gave them a shellacking um, in, in the dressing room or said you just weren't good enough son like there was that tough love element which actually developed um, young boys into young men um, at the time and you know I think that that's not just in football but that's changed in society now you know you can't you can't click through anything anymore where a parent isn't getting judged for the photo they take with their kid um, so just because of the nature of the world really um, I think it would have been easier to hold players up to a standard um, in that respect so when comparing again to Sir Alex and I do enjoy those comparisons because you know obviously we don't like what you said we don't have a way of to really say what was right or wrong but um it, to the to the genius that was sir alex ferguson to handle different types of characters yeah no it, you could yeah compare all day and you could play sort of games in your mind and say what could have been what what could have been and just when i mentioned it i didn't realize but just just off the top of my head thinking maybe Mourinho might have been better back in the 50s as good as he is now he's gone on to win it all yeah Maybe his style is better suited to back then. Yeah. I think that is a real strength that Sir Alex Ferguson could do it over the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. And even now, if he was 10 years younger, I'm sure he could do it now. He had just that ability to manage certain people, different languages, different ages. Mourinho has openly said he struggles with players who just don't have that natural drive in them. Like comparing like, like what Anthony Martial is, the enigma that he is. Um, I don't think that sort of player... Maybe they existed back then, but it was very far um, in between. It was a very... Where Martial's almost unique. Every club has almost seven or eight Anthony Martial's. Yeah. Back then, they might have had one, maybe one sort of thing where... Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean there. Now, on to another person who was knighted, um, Sir Bobby Charlton, another survivor, obviously, of um, the crash in Munich. Where to start on Sir Bobby? I think... Well, don't want to go. Don't want the podcast to go too long. But on on Savoy Charlton, everyone talks about what made, we touched on a legend status before in terms of Smith Busby, Sir Alex, in terms of what makes a legend, etc., and who's bigger, etc. Savoy Charlton is a weird one because I've heard a few people talk about a legend status should be you shouldn't be able to reach legend status because the club should players and individuals and clubs should always be striving to improve. So no one should ever reach that level. It should be impossible. But when you look back at what Savoy Charlton did, it, it's almost the definition of a legend. Start off, he's come through into the biggest club in the world as a youth player, so he's done that Marcus Rashford sort of Ryan Giggs trajectory sort of thing. Was involved in the crash, so saw his friends pass away in the crash, survived the crash. 
went on to win the World Cup uh, with England in 1966, went on to win the Champions or the then European Cup in 1968 with United, went on to at the time become the leading appearance record holder at United, the goal scoring record at United. It's literally doing it all. He he, yeah. he did it all. So we look at players. Oh, is Ronaldo a legend? Is Rooney a legend? Is Roy Keane, Paul Scholes? Potentially, yes, and I'll probably agree with all those. There's a case none of them even t- tie the laces of Sir Bobby Charlton. I'd agree with that argument. Um, <clears throat> just to, to what you said, like, the thing that maybe there needs to be a new bracket. Maybe we need to say... Um, you but know, he's still that top bracket. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Because like, I know I know in a rugby league here in Australia, they have the immortal status. Um, they do something similar in the uh, NFL, if I'm not wrong, um, where they just you have the Hall of Fame and then you have like the top of the top. I, I don't know what their terminology is, but you get my point. Yeah. Um, th- there isn't a higher legend status than what Sir Bobby did. Simply for... And like... His, all right, so first of all, his goal-scoring record, 250 goals. That's from midfield. Yeah, not a striker. On bodgy pitches, yeah. right? <clears throat> the other part of that, so that how long that record stood for. Wayne Rooney broke it in 2017, if I'm not wrong, yeah. um, Mourinho's first season. Rooney had to be there for a long period of time, and Rooney was in positions, granted he didn't play striker for his whole career, but... He was in a winger, or what you'd call is an inside forward. And so it's made our, our two top scorers, Rooney and Bobby Charlton, aren't what you'd call natural goal scorers. They weren't yeah. num- their number nine goal scorers. Well, Bobby Charlton obviously wore number nine, but in terms of that position on the pitch, weren't your Rude Van Nistelrooy, weren't your Andy Cole sort of type of yeah. striker. Um, it's weird how football works like that. But um, I, I know what you mean in terms of that bracket. In, oh, 100% players like Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes and Ronaldo and Rooney etc are legends for me but there has to be almost a different bracket because if you do look at what Sir Bobby Charlton did and I think the Munich crash does it, it's a huge part of it it's not a unfortunate or fortunate part of his story in terms of elevating it to a legend status it's mm. just part of it that he had to deal with that deal with losing people close to him dealing with losing his a great team around him we look at players we just discussed earlier Lionel Messi as great as he is Maybe quite fortunate for having great players around him. Go and put him in. You look at Maradona went and did it at Napoli, a lesser club, and going on to win things. I don't think Messi could do that. Maybe he could, I don't know. But he has fantastic players around him. So Bobby Charlton had fantastic players around him and then lost them. And then continued on to go on and lead players to great things in the future. Yeah. Um, it's, again, taken away from no other any, any <coughs> of the other legends who have gone on to become United greats. But I think when you do look at it, I don't think... I think if you had to pick one which would just rank in early Sir Alex and Matt Busby, if you were to say who's United's biggest ever legend, I think there'd only be maybe one correct answer, and I think it's Bobby Charlton. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, the other thing you that probably gets overshadowed in all of this and through the midst of tragedy and when you're looking at someone like um, Sir Bobby is you have to think the character of the man. Like... If I, if I just envision now, I, this thought just came to me. Put yourself in that situation. Professional footballer, you know, we've both played football. We've played with teammates, people who we, you know, care about. Imagine you're on a plane with people. And, like, this is, like, you know, professional sports. So you spend most of your time with these guys. And most of them perish around you. Just think of the, the character that that takes. Like, 
you lose a friend now or you lose a parent or like the morning that you go through imagine just losing them all suddenly I think not, not only which yes 100% not only losing them but seeing losing yeah. them, like physically seeing it I think would be yeah their blood and would, bodies it, broken be and scary it would be well, obviously it still lives with them now yeah but live in the short term to be able to deal with that and then continue to go on and obviously achieve what he did it's something that we, we go back to Harry Gregg and say oh, I'd like to think I could be able to be that brave or that strong or be able to deal with that maybe deep down probably not, I wouldn't be able to but he's living proof of Sir Bobby Charlton actually doing that yeah for me I, I almost feel it's wrong to call Sir Bobby a legend why don't we call Sir Bobby the immortal yeah. the immortal and then everything under that can be legend status yeah, not a bad um, case um, if you can start one of the petitions it would be good you know petition.org I think they so that what Liverpool usually do when there's an offside call. Well, if United can afford uh, PR applications <laughs> um, for positive press, then I think this is the most positive of press we could possibly give the club. Exactly. Now we will um, start to We'll move on towards <coughs> the obviously such an important but also sad, which we've just been touched on in terms of in and around 1958 um, and the actual crash in Munich. But obviously, just as important, or just as important, or just as notable, the '68 European Cup. Win, which is when you think of it, ten years later, from a team, literally don't want to say it in a bad term, but literally dying, um, to come back and become the best team in the world, or the best team in Europe, slash the best team in the world, only ten years later, is an unbelievable achievement. Before we go into that, um, Bill Folks and Sir Bobby Charlton were obviously played in the nineteen sixty eight European Cup final. Were the only survivors from the crash who sort of made it on that ten years. Obviously, the team did change. Um, Quite considerably, obviously, but Samat Busby obviously did sort of feel sort of blood a lot of youngsters into the team over, obviously, like Sir George Best, etc. Um, so there's a little bit of a stat for you about those two players coming through into six years. Now, just before we go on to sort of how a rebuild, how that rebuild would have happened compared to how a rebuild would happen now, etc. Um, just a personal thing. Obviously, I've met I met um, Paddy Crerand on a, a couple of occasions, had a couple of chats with it, just sort of brief two, three minutes sort of chats here and there with Paddy Crerand over the years and a lot of a scene on MUTV and his bubbly character exactly the same exactly the same in person for someone who meets you and doesn't know who you are ten seconds later it's almost like you're talking to a best friend and to him it might be nothing to him he's just talking to someone oh that's nice I'll be polite to him but to a fan who looks back at what United achieved in the, in the 1960s period it sticks with me every day. I remember that chat sort of thing. I remember having a photo with it. I remember this and that, etc. And um, yeah, so, so um, Paddy Crerand, who obviously is a big part of Man United now, um, obviously was a uh, vital part of that 1968 team. And also Francis Burns, who actually lives in Australia, who lives over in Perth at the moment. He was at the Man United Supporters Club in Sydney, our 20th anniversary. We had a dinner in the city. Um, Francis Burns flew over from Perth to... Um, make an appearance and sort of chat with a few fans which was again something for a player like that who he didn't play in the final I know he played in the semi-final against Real Madrid but um, you look at that and you think okay it's nothing for them they're just taking a few photos and signing an autograph here or there sharing a story or two but for a fan is something that just sticks with you forever and yeah just a personal note that I've met two of the players um, from there which I'm sure a lot of people have met other players but I will get my bragging in there where possible. Um, but on to the actual rebuild, because 
It is a different rebuild now. We look back, we'll discuss an early when Ferguson left. How long ago was that? 2013. Look, it's not 10 years, but it feels like 100 years. Let's say it was 10 years ago. It's, it's, it's creeping up there. It'll be there tomorrow. Um, so you look when our team in the team in 58 passed away, or the majority of the team passed away, to go on to win the European Cup in 10 years. United, when Ferguson left, we have failed miserably in striving to become the best in the world. Um, United did it back then. In the, obviously a different scenario, different challenges, different everything. But United did it then, and we're failing big time to do it now. Obviously we can't cast back and realise what the differences were and what the challenges were, but anything to put your finger on, what Samat would have done well, what United, obviously we know what they are doing wrong now, but what could they do right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the position that uh, Sir Matt occupied before he left the club as a whole, um, you could argue, maybe not a director of football, I think that would have been maybe too far a stretch, but if you're talking about someone who embeds the ethos of the club and I think that's where the Glazers have gotten it so wrong um, David Gill was so so big in terms of what he brought to the foundation of Manchester United but all of this was built from Sir Matt if you look at all through that period United always had an identity and I feel for me somewhere along the way we've obviously lost that obviously you, you could we could do a whole new podcast on it the, the focus on corporate versus football foundations and so forth Money wasn't money's not the issue um, now. That's for sure. Um, you could argue maybe uh, with someone like a Sir Matt, I think the club's club probably does keep its success over that period. Um, it, it's a hard one to pinpoint, but I think the club would definitely be better for having someone like that in now than what it was, you know, compared to back then. Um, also, I don't know if you knew this, mate, but we actually won the we won, so United won the league in uh, nineteen sixty five. Um, which obviously then led on to 68, but, um, well, like, what an achievement. Yeah, well, I, just when you mentioned that, I remember City winning the league in the 67-68 season. However, yeah. it's one of those short-lived... It's, it's almost some City... Obviously, it's City are obviously a different club now, a different animal now, but it was almost typical City back then. They'd gone on, finally won the league, this huge... Man, Man City, obviously, a big club at the time. They're not a big club now. <laughs> but um, Man City go and win the league, but then the next week, Man, Man United go and win the Champions League, or then the European Cup, yeah. which was almost a really typical city, which is always good to um, look back and laugh at. But yeah, just in terms of... Look, we sit here and say what United could do now to come... to come, And we're not even looking to come back to be the best in the world. We're looking to become one of the top four in the country. And... Um, so you look at where Sir Alex Ferguson left us and there, there is a case for Sir Alex and he obviously didn't do it on purpose but there is a case that he didn't leave us in the the best state and I don't think that's his fault and I definitely didn't do it on purpose but there is a case for that we weren't in a great position when he left in terms of the players on the field but you look at what Samar Busby had he didn't have enough to fill a team sheet yeah and it's insane Obviously, obviously, we can throw money at a problem now He couldn't tr- obviously United were a big club then could throw money around but not you can't say throwing a hundred pound round is throwing money around. Like, yeah. Obviously, maybe in context you can, but you can't really. Like in terms of the rebuild from within, in terms of youth players, coaching, which is obviously a huge <clears throat> part back, then, which is obviously a big part now, but I think played such a more important role back then in terms of direct coaching a player and improving a player. Now, if you can't improve a player, I'll go and get the next player in line. I'll make him five percent better rather than making you ten percent better. Well, I'll go yeah. and get a new player. So um, you look back at what Samuel Busby did, is um, 
you can't put a price on it. Is I can't, I can't imagine a team now, the best team. I can't imagine Real Madrid, sadly saying Liverpool. I can't imagine their team passing away. God forbid that obviously do not want that to happen. But I can't imagine a team like that passing away and going on to dominate world football years later. Yeah. Um, and, Even with unlimited bankroll, I can't imagine how that would happen. Well, that's why this is um, this achievement for me needs all the recognition it deserves because I just I don't think any club um, with whatever resources you have to lose the foundation of what was a really good team to rebuild them in ultimately eight years. So like so if yeah. we're talking when Fergie's left United to now, so that's saying. You had nothing. You, you lost the nucleus of your team within that same time frame that we'd be now since Fergie retired. European champions. I think... Now, again, I'm not saying that I wish that our current or the team that Fergie left passed away, but I'm saying when you put in the context, if, if United, with our current resources, just had the right people or the right ethos that was there back then to rebuild from a tragedy, um, the working class that is Manchester... If you had that mentality at the club in that period, in in the in the period of the last seven years, I think United could be well and beyond the best team in the world. Well, no, just what you mentioned just at the start there is um, it deserves more recognition and more sort of value put on it, and not only from United, but from football and especially English football in general. In terms of United, then become United first of all were the first team to go and play in Europe. There was a bit of a hesitation to go and play in European football. It was almost England. It was England's game. Don't go and share it with the continent, sort of thing. Where Sir Matt Busby was such a sort of advocate to go and test yourself and go and dominate and become pretty much test yourself against the world's best rather than England's best. So he did that. Obviously, it ended in well, not ended, but seemingly ended in tragedy in Munich. But then, still, that wasn't enough. That wasn't going to put a damper on things. Continued to build. Continued. To, went on to become the first English team to win the Champions League. So. We can sit here and say, oh, we wish we had more Champions League trophies than Liverpool, etc. But Liverpool don't have their trophies if it's not for Man United. And that's not something to crow about, obviously. But they don't have their success if it's not for what Sir Matt Busby and Man United did. Yeah, yeah, that's a valid argument. It's a valid argument. And I I don't want to use that as an argument to take away from what Liverpool have done. I'm just saying the importance of what Sir Matt Busby did, and not Sir Matt Busby and the club. Um, Yeah, it can't be understated. It has to be not only recognised but sort of remembered more fondly I think no what you're saying is right if you just look at the period of um, United's dominance um, through the 60s then Liverpool started to come on in the 80s if I got my history lessons right um, you can't hold yourself to a standard if there's no standard to compare to United were the top Liverpool came and overtook us then Fergie came and took back and so forth so what you're saying is valid mate and I think there we will finish it there before Liverpool overtake us again, which it looks <laughs> likely that they will do. But um, it is always good to look back. And um, look, while it is a tough time of year when you look back and you sort of remember and you see images and you see stories about what happened, it's sometimes sad to look back at. But I think it's always important. And sometimes I look forward to this time of year because you do learn a little bit more every single year about um, certain stories, certain players, little bits, little quotes you hear and... Um, Every year, you sort of you learn a little bit more about the club, and yeah, every day I wake up and I sort of the first thing I do is Man United. So the, every day I wake up and you can learn a little bit more about the history. And when you look back at, as I said, it was before my time, but it's almost why I do support the club, even though it wasn't my first 
initial reaction as to why I support the club. I supported the club because I was almost forced to when I look back. The real reason deep down is because of moments like Munich and that Jimmy Murphy quote, etc. And the way Sam Busby rebuilt the team. That is what I find sort of pride in in terms of and that's why sort of obviously United ideally hopefully get back to that stage one day. Uh, looks unlikely at this stage, but there is that hope. But um, if United can rise from seemingly the ashes, um, seemingly fifth in the league doesn't seem too bad, does it? No, not at all. Um, I thought with a with a nice touch, um, I've got Sir Matt Busby's quote from when we won the European Cup um, against Benfica. So he said, they've done us proud. Um, they came back with all their hearts to show everyone what Manchester United are made of. This is the most wonderful thing that has happened in my life, and I am the proudest man in England tonight. No, uh, no I think that's a um, touching way to finish it. I don't want you to bring any tears to my eye. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. It was fun. No, I don't want to say fun to do, but it was enjoyable to do because, as I said, it's important um, to come back and look at certain things like this. Um, it's such an important part of the club's history. So hopefully you enjoyed the podcast and got something out of it. Um, there'll be a couple more podcasts in the coming weeks before we play Chelsea on the 18th of February. So a bit of a break. Hopefully enjoy the podcast and we will chat to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.